<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movies to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week we are down the rabbit hole into a maelstrom of decadence, debauchery, and delirium. A bacchanalian buffet of bombast and bravado. A journey that starts with the explosive bowels of an overheated elephant and then descends into the rat-eating bowels of Hollywood's subterranean hell. No hanging gardens in this Babylon, just plenty of broken people hanging by a thread to their dreams. Yes, this episode's film is Babylon, the latest from writer-director Damien Chazelle, described on IMDb as a tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and Diego Calva all star as these characters experiencing the great peaks and valleys of the movie business. Babylon asks the question, if less is more and more is too much, is most best? <laughs> First impression, Helen. Yeah, so this this movie starts off with a bang. Um, <laughs> That's one descriptor. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, Edison, you had messaged us to say he had started watching this with your mom and she was like, I can't. Mm-hmm. And I understood why within, you know, the first five minutes. We get both piss and shit in the first in like five <laughs> minutes of this movie. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's, it is extreme right off the bat. (laughs) Yeah. Sinclair? Yeah, it definitely grabs your attention right away. I, I was laughing at the fact that this elephant was being brought to this Hollywood party. Um, I love it. That, yeah. But there are a lot of bodily fluids (laughs) at the beginning of this film and... I couldn't help but think about Edison watching this with his mom. Like, you had told us that ahead of time, and it was impossible to not picture you watching this with with your mother. Yes. So I did get a good laugh out of that. I'm I'm also not really familiar with Diego Calva at all. Same. Mm -hmm. So his face was new to me. I wasn't quite sure what to expect from him because I have not seen him in anything before. Yeah. Yeah, this was a really long opening, like, before we got to the <laughs> title <know>. card. <laughs> like, 30 minutes. Yeah, so I think, like, overall, my first impression was just, like, whoa. <laughs> um, as you said, I was watching it with my mom. She she literally said, oh, I can't watch this den of iniquity and left the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is what it was. Like, people having sex everywhere, mountains of cocaine, everybody naked, this young woman pissing on a grotesque <laughs> old pig yeah. of a man yeah um, i honestly think it probably still is that yeah you know <laughs> has anything changed <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, I did like, I, I was drawn in. Like, I, you know, Margot Robbie makes this, like, appropriately movie star entrance riding up in that yeah. car in the red cutout dress. She's already dialed up to, like, a 20 out of 10. And mm. even Brad Pitt has this hilarious introduction where he's fighting with his wife in Italian. That was Olivia Wilde. And, yeah. and I was like, okay, Damien Chazelle does love his actors and mm. wants them to just go for it. So I was, I was into it at the beginning i was like okay this is bonkers but i'm gonna go with it and and i really liked brad's final line right before the the babylon credit Mm -hmm. where he said you ever been on a movie set no you'll see it's the most magical place in the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) well why don't we get into storytelling yeah i mean so i chose to watch this movie as a mini series right um (laughs) (laughs) i watched it in four parts which Watching it in that way, I actually did enjoy it quite a bit. I cannot tell you if I would have felt the same way if I watched this in one sitting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that that's not fair. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I deliberately didn't want to see this in theaters because it was three hours long. And I that seemed like way too much of a commitment to me. And considering how intense this movie is... And the fact that it's three hours long, like, that's just a lot to have to take in. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, because I did watch it in four separate parts, I was able to kind of digest it better. So I'm, did it, either one of you watch it in one sitting? Yes. Okay. I didn't. I oh, did. Oh, I did. Too. So what was that like for you, Edison? Exhausting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, it, but, like, I feel, I don't, I'm not going to shit on this movie. i didn't like hate it i just wish that it had been better i thought it was Mm. just like in such dire need of an edit that Mm. i I thought that there could have been such a good movie here it was just way too long and like uh, all over the place and i know that that sort of chaotic frenetic thing is maybe what he was going for but it felt it felt um untethered and uncontrolled Mm in a mm-hmm. way that I wish it weren't. Yeah. I honestly compare this movie to a like frantic jazz song. Yeah. Totally. Just a And that's his thing. riff <laughs> jazz yeah. song. And like generally I don't enjoy frantic jazz. <laughs> that's mm. just what I don't know what genre I'm trying to say of music. When it comes to to jazz, but I call it frantic jazz. Like scatting? It is just jazz that's all over scatting. the place. Scatting. Helen, yeah. it just um. keeps going. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I actually did really like the tempo of this film for the majority of it because it did feel like this really cool jazz song. But mm-hmm. this movie needed to be reined in mm-hmm. yeah even though i get that it was very chaotic and it was supposed to be that i think that this movie's issue is the length for mm-hmm. sure because i just don't feel like it earns its three hours mm. and there's been a lot of movies that have come out that have been three hours long that just don't earn it yeah mm-hmm. and that's the issue right now with three hour movies like if you earn those three hours then fine. But right. if you don't, then we're going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. especially because the this film in particular, it feels like it thinks it 
earns every minute. Right. But and it, yes. so there's a smugness or something, a self-indulgence yeah. to mm-hmm. the length that really just detracts. Yes. Because you have such talent. You've got a lot of technical prowess. Yeah. I think that it just could. And, and at, at the heart of it, a kind of a cool story or the potential of a cool story of this transition from the mm-hmm. silent films into the talkies and how that affected everybody in Hollywood. And that could have been really cool. Right. Mm-hmm. The biggest issue I think is that Damien Chazelle is making movies or trying to make movies like he's Scorsese and Tarantino. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's he is kind of like putting himself in the ranks of those directors, yeah. and I just don't think that he is necessarily there yet as right. a filmmaker. Like I don't think he's earned those stripes yet. But he yeah. is making movies like he's these yeah. older auteur directors, and he also has the cynicism of a like sixty year old director. <laughs> <laughs> that's been in Hollywood and has a massive filmography and has like been there, done that, seen it all. I mean, which, La La Land's not cynical. To well, it's, it's cynical. Discredit. It is all cynical. His movies are cynical. La La Land is cynical. A hundred percent. Whiplash is cynical. It, there's, well, yes. There is cynicism running through all of his films, which I actually find to be so interesting because he's only been successful from a young age. Right. Uh-huh. Like he's only been successful. And... Listen, I can I can gravitate towards cynicism. I kind of appreciate well, yeah. that about him. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that he is making movies like he's like a 60-year-old auteur. And but he doesn't have the discipline yet to not yet. nail it. No. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as an example, that film was also almost three hours long. But it was... And also starred Margot Roavy and Brad Pitt. Yes. <laughs> totally. And but people will go to see setting. that. People will go to see that in the theater because it's Tarantino, and people right. will forgive the three hours because it's Tarantino. I read an interesting tidbit that he had the idea for this movie in 2009, apparently, which, like, I don't know how old he is, but he can't be much older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever he had explained this idea to said, like, you're not ready to make that movie yet. Right why don't you make a musical? And he's like, okay, fine. And made La La Land. And then it's like, okay, great. Now I'm going to make Babylon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, just going off of the idea of Babylon a little bit, Mm -hmm. Babylon was a city, a biblical Mm -hmm. city. And it was a city of sin and rebellion. And it was this rejection of God. So it it is supposed to represent this place of evil, but it was also uh, in the form of a female figure, the whore of Babylon. Um, of course, a female, um, <laughs> a female representing sin and prostitution and indulgence. And this is also the exploration of punishment and downfall for being sinful. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this is a very heavy handed metaphor for Hollywood, <laughs> but at the same time is accurate. Right. And, but and, it's also been done. Like, one of the most famous gossip books ever is Hollywood Babylon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's an, it's a metaphor it, that exists already. It, mm. it does. Um, but at the same time, as heavy-handed as it is, it's still fun to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe especially now, because with in our current time, what's interesting is it's like, I, I actually was thinking about this after does this still exist i'm sure that it does in some capacity 
But it it's so different now because with social media, with everybody having a phone, with mm-hmm. everybody, with a million more paparazzi, with the total difference in the way that celebrities have to live their lives, they can't just go to something like this willy-nilly like they are in this film. Mm-hmm. Or it would be all on TMZ or whatever mm-hmm. after, right? And there was this, this sort of like freedom back in these days of Hollywood that I think we find fascinating. Yeah. Well, interestingly, so the one of the opening scenes with that guy who's getting peed on and then that woman dies mm-hmm. is a reference to Fatty Arbuckle, mm. who had sort of a similar situation where he'd had this crazy party and this woman died. And it was a huge scandal. It went through three separate trials because it kept ending in a mistrial where he had been accused of raping this woman and uh, she died a couple of days later because her bladder burst. Oh, God. (laughs) And he was a large man and it was said that he had like squished her and Mm. then her bladder burst. So Mm -hmm. I, I believe having this woman pee on him, like the fact that she died because her bladder burst, I think like he is making an allusion to that for sure. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that whole situation actually led to this code of conduct that was put in place for movie stars where, yeah, where they couldn't, they had to behave well offset, right? which lasted for a few decades. And then it ended, what ended up becoming our modern rating system for film. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and with the pre-code is interesting because it essentially has shaped Hollywood and how we see right. the past. Mm-hmm. Because when we look back on this time and we think about movies, everyone is quite prim and proper because they had this moral code. <laughs> right. And they weren't allowed to do anything scandalous on film. So Babylon mm-hmm. is set right before that comes yep. in. Yeah. And... When you watch movies from pre-code Hollywood, you're like, whoa, did those two women just kiss? Mm. Mm. Like, you'll see things like that. You're like, wow, okay, I didn't realize that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So I think we have this idea of the 20s as this kind of like... Swinging free time. Swinging free time. But we'd never have really fully got to see the extent of the debauchery of that time. Like this is like prohibition. This is like people yeah. watched circus freaks at this yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. Totally. Like entertainment was fucked up. Yeah. What people would watch. Oh yeah. And I remember I actually watched these, this documentary, a series of documentaries like years ago, maybe like 10 or 12 years ago. And it was like it was Shanghai in the twenties. Berlin mm. in the 20s. Mm. And it really was like a fascinating time yeah. in between the wars of just like, fuck it all freedom. Debauchery. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that this film had a lot to say about what it means to be like a movie star. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, Manny says to Nellie Leroy, you want to be a movie star? And mm. she corrects him and says, honey, you don't become a star. Either you are one or you ain't. I am. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I thought... That was interesting. And I, I actually thought, like, is that true, do you think? Mm. Is that is that sort of self-assurance 
and just like what is required to Mm -hmm. make it if you don't have famous parents or whatever Mm -hmm. but it was back in the day like people loved a rags to riches story Mm. yes it truly was about the discovery of a star that was what was exciting about it there is an it factor that we talk about when we Mm -hmm. talk about famous people and talented people like you can be talented but the it factor is not something that you can really teach. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. something you just sort of inherently have or you don't. Yeah. But it also can be discarded really easily and mm. taken away regardless of your. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it, that's what happens so, with Nellie, yeah. right? It's like she has a, She's like a flash in the pan. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're too pornographic. Yeah. Well, it's with all of them. It's think yeah. with the scene with Jean Smart's character, that gossip mm-hmm. columnist Eleanor St. John, when she heard that monologue, yeah. that amazing monologue she has. I know. Brad that was Pitt. one of my favorite parts. There will be a hundred more of you, a hundred more of me, yeah. right? But yeah. some kid born 50 years from now who takes his first breath after you've taken your last will yeah. stumble upon your image flickering on the screen and will mm-hmm. feel like he knows you. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay. It's like, it is. It's like a testament of love to these stars, these larger-than-life stars, but also recognition that, like, everyone's got a expiration date yeah except yeah. beyonce apparently yeah <laughs> and share i always share. get an existential crisis watching really old films because mm-hmm. i do think to myself and i can't help it i think oh everyone that yeah. is in this is dead right like, i can't mm. help think that when i watch mm. <laughs> older movies um but yeah i mean we've kind of heard this sad tale of the silent film star mm-hmm. being discarded once the talkies uh have come in i'm not gonna go through all of this but these are characters that are inspired by real people. yeah they're not actually real people nelly Leroy is based off of like an amalgamation of some film stars mm-hmm. um one like Abel normand clara bow yeah clara bow and Honestly, such a good reference to Sunset Boulevard in this. Mm. I mean, that's kind of that's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's kind of the saddest tale of the downfall of a silent film star. Mm. And there's some nods to that in this that I really appreciated. Jack Conrad's based on an actor named John Gilbert. He was married four times. He died very young. And... He kind of reminded me of the Leonardo DiCaprio character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I could almost picture Leo in this role, too. These are kind of like the sad stories of Hollywood that Mm -hmm. that we're familiar with in this, like, silent era. I need to say this, though. One thing that I found different about this movie is the way people were talking. Usually when you watch movies that are set in a time period like this, it still sounds filmy like it sounds Mm -hmm. and the transatlantic accent comes a bit later but it still sounds stagey right like when you watch movies like mank even if characters Mm. aren't on being on camera on set they're talking like they're in a movie where this one everyone was kind of talking normally and i always Mm -hmm. ask myself what did people actually sound like (laughs) during those decades how did people actually talk because all i know is what i've seen in movies Right. Totally. Which is not how people talk. Like you watch movies <laughs> today and it's 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 a more refined version of how people talk to each other in general. Like there's there is more realistic, naturalistic stuff being yeah. made. But even the way that we talk on this podcast, we talk over each other, we stumble on our words. Like mm-hmm. 
that people don't want to hear that. That's why um, we take it out in the edit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's interesting to think, is there a document that shows how people actually talked in the 1920s that's truthful? Mm. Yeah. Mm. One thing I did really like in this movie, and it's pretty much the only thing I liked about the Fablemans, is the showing how, you know, the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That that particular scene where we see Margot Robbie being miked for the first time, oh, like that yeah. that could have just been a short film, totally. that scene. I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. And especially as someone who's been on sets before and like knowing that there are all of these things that need to fall into place to just get a single shot. I loved watching that. Like she has to make her mark. Oh, the microphone is above her. She can't go over there. Uh, You know, someone can't sneeze (laughs) Yeah. uh, in the room. And in thinking too about they've just discovered how to do sound on film they couldn't have an air conditioner mm-hmm. and it's summer in California, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just loved seeing how that all came together. I thought that was really interesting. And I liked the pacing of that mm-hmm. scene too. I thought it was really entertaining. Yeah. And you think about actors having to change with technical advancement, like even thinking yeah. about, Oh, actors that had to deal with the first green screen. Yeah. Yeah. CGI totally. And mm-hmm. What a shock that would be to a performer. Um, it's a lot of adjustments, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm with you, Helen. I like that scene, too. It's yeah. funny because that could be a scene that people, because it was so kind of over, it was long, and it was like, yeah. we're going to redo it and redo it and redo it and redo yeah. it went on. But that, I didn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> I actually mm-hmm. liked it. And also the other times when they were on set, right? Even the scene with, with like, Drunken, when they were setting up the whole final shot with Drunken Brad Pitt's character, like, climbing mm-hmm. up the hill to do the thing. I actually loved that whole sequence too. All of this that involved the like being on set and showing the workings of set, I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. I need to talk about my favorite part of the movie, which was the descent into hell. Um, (laughs) The asshole of Hollywood. Dante's Inferno led by Tobey Maguire. Literally, come to a different level, Um, this level. Yes, it's funny because this is when it goes like from Tarantino to like Gaspar Noe. <laughs> the totally. movie just changes, you know, in it's always been debaucherous, but the tone changes in this. It gets quite dark. Well, I was like, and, is this barbarian now? Yes, <laughs> it goes happening? like full uh-huh. kind of horror. And I I I really enjoyed this part because there was a bit of a lag where I was like, okay, okay, like this this is going on for too long. I need something to pick up my attention. Yeah, uh, and this definitely did. It felt like a descent into hell, and mm. I have to say, this is the most accurate portrayal of Tobey Maguire I've ever <laughs> seen in a movie. This is exactly <laughs> how I picture him on just a Monday night. Oh my god! We the all world, know the he's darkest a freak. bags under we his eyes. We know yeah. he's a freak. <laughs> so I was like, okay, wow, like he really works in this part because you know he's. I just think he's a little bit of a demon. It's interesting because I felt that tonal flip to be so jarring that I was like, what the hell am I watching now? Like, <laughs> and it's not that I'm, you know, prudishly put off by the content of what I'm seeing in that, in that part. It's mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, it just felt like an arrogant swing. It just felt like mm-hmm. I'm going for this just to, for the sake of going for it. But I think it's only because it had lagged for so much for right. that chunk before mm-hmm. it, like... 
it's I don't begrudge the film having the descent into hell. Maybe it needs it if that's a story, but it felt like two separate stories for me, and it didn't mm. work. Yeah. See, when you wa- when you watch it as a four part miniseries, it does work. <laughs> okay. <Right>. Fair. <laughs> I honestly, and I'm not going to go into ranting about the Fablemans at all. However, (laughs) (laughs) I've been so bored with Mm. how conventional certain films were this year that I honestly embraced Babylon a lot more than Mm -hmm. maybe I normally would have. But I needed to watch something that pushed the boundaries a bit. I needed to watch something that was not conventional, was like taking risks, was kind of all over the place and kind of experimental in a way. Like I would, I I don't think that this is the best movie that it could have been Mm -hmm. at all. However, I will always gravitate more towards somebody who is pushing the boundaries and taking risks over a really conventional movie that doesn't make any ripples at all. So I was kind of here for wherever he went with with this film. Well, and I'll say, too, in comparison to La La Land, I enjoyed this more than La La Land. I enjoyed this more than First Man as well. Like I forgot about First Man. That was a slog for me, too. (laughs) So I'm kind of like, okay, at least (laughs) you're like shaking this up. At least you are giving me more of an adventure whiplash is still his best movie whiplash is great whiplash is definitely his best yeah yeah well okay well i'm glad that you it it worked for you and that you needed to see it sinclair i needed that descent into hell edison i know i know but nobody else did nobody Um, else did (laughs) yeah why why has this movie flopped edison tell us okay so this film costs 110 million dollars to make yeah okay that's the production budget that's not surprising it's a parent too yeah it is (laughs) You've got all these movie stars, the production design, the set, all of it. And that means that there was at least $60 million more spent on marketing. So this mm-hmm. film needed to make somewhere around $175 million at the box office just to break even. And so far, globally, it has made about $50 million. Aye, so aye, aye. it's a pretty epic box office bomb. Oh, no. But, yeah, like, why? Because Brad Pitt's a big, a pretty big draw, and Margot yeah. Robbie is easily one of the most popular stars today. Yeah, and it came out at like the height of movies yeah. of the year, like you yes. know. Yes, and Damien Chazelle's last take on Hollywood, La La Land, made half a billion dollars mm-hmm. at the box office and almost won Best Picture. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think it's kind of a perfect storm of reasons. Okay. So, firstly. Earlier in the year, there was a lot of hype for this amongst film geeks, definitely, but also a bit in the general public. Mm. But then David O. Russell's film Amsterdam was being advertised. I'm not interrupting, but I was just going to say Amsterdam. 100% (laughs) agree. (laughs) It was being advertised around the same time. Trailers were similar in tone, similar in setting. Both were big ensemble casts that included Margot Robbie. And I think the general public may have gotten a bit confused about these movies. Huh. And Amsterdam came out first, like two and a half, two months before, right? It came out at the beginning of October, and it was a massive flop at the box office and also critically. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk and a lot of articles about like the faltering draw of these frenetic kind of period piece movie star ensemble films. Mm. And all eyes were on Babylon to see if that would kind of counter or prove the theory. And so once the early reviews started coming out on Babylon and they weren't positive a lot of those online sites predicted that it would fare similarly to Amsterdam at the box office. And so it kind of became this self-fulfilling prophecy where basically all the press was about the negative reviews and the predictions that that the film would bomb. So you imagine that you're a potential audience member, even 
the three of us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's we talked about seeing. this in our last episode. <laughs> totally. And then you look at the three hour runtime of this film and it's like, nah, I think I'll wait. Yeah. And its opening weekend also happened to coincide with that record breaking snowstorm that right. buried much of, you know, the northeastern part of America and also affected the Whitney movie. And, and you had Avatar. And Ugh. I think that all came together to just boom. Like, mm. make this a box office bomb. And it also fuels the cynicism of the film. <laughs> right. Totally. You know, it just really reinforces a lot of what this film is saying, which I think is is quite interesting because mm-hmm. this, this has kind of found its audience, though. This right. is already becoming kind of like a film geeks movie. Mm. Like, there is a hive that loves Babylon. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, what about the end oh, montage? Yeah. Okay, great. That there's 15 that. minutes that, that could have gone. So solid 15 minutes. I actually thought maybe I had a bad stream of this movie. I was like, it, are the credits supposed to be happening? What's going on here? It was like an Oscar montage. Very yeah, strange. Uh, again, chop, it, chop, chop. It just was so unnecessary yeah. to yeah. me. Like. I loved I loved that in and of itself. Like I love a little I love a right, movie right, montage. Right, right. Obviously, that's cool. But it felt totally out of place here, yeah. and it mm-hmm. felt self indulgent, and it yeah. felt like you didn't need this. It added nothing. Mm-hmm. Like it felt unnecessary. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. What wasn't unnecessary though were some of these performances. Yeah, and I have to start with Margot Robbie, who mm-hmm. was just a fucking supernova in this she is incredible in this and i am you know i get that this movie didn't perform but she i think she should have had an oscar nomination for this movie she's incredible she in performed yeah, compared to yeah. some people that got nominated yeah. for sure um, she's incredible she's essentially harley quinn though in this which i, I love harley I don't quinn think so she I, i'm no i'm not i'm not saying it's a negative thing like i like what she does with harley quinn but i feel like it's like harley quinn as a silent film star <laughs> i think sure. it's way more emotionally grounded than the, uh, harley quinn yes character. but i i do think there's similarities in the the energy is there's there. similarities in the sense that she is f- wild and mm-hmm. yeah. a maelstrom of bad taste and sheer magic, as right, right. she's called. <laughs> and the voice but a little bit too. The voice, the yeah. Jersey voice, a little bit yeah. sure. But yeah. I thought that there were way more moments of like real emotionality and groundedness. Think about that that moment in the taxi with Manny when she mm-hmm. says, she, she starts with, "I hate when people put toppings on ice cream," and then mm-hmm. it becomes this real monologue. You know, let them know that I got here on my terms, not theirs. Yeah. When I'm done, I'm gonna dance my ass off into the night yeah and that i thought was a really beautiful beautiful moment Mm -hmm. of a performance and in the film Mm -hmm. and i also was like oh god this is going to be every freaking kid is going to be using this to audition for their acting school this monologue yeah well but even the scene you know where she's first on film and crying mm-hmm. as a meta exercise like that is still a very hard thing to do what she's actually doing as margot robbie as nelly Leroy, yeah. like that yes. it's very impressive i think that this movie should have just been her story i think it should have yes. followed like the whiplash yeah. structure yes. of just like the rise and fall of her and made it an hour and a half just under two hours just focus on her and watch that all play out until he, the end he, he was trying to pack in too many stories and 
I actually really loved Jovan Adepo as Sidney Palmer, the trumpet player. Mm-hmm. Like that was actually a performance that really stood out to me. However, I don't actually think we needed that storyline. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like a layer on top of a cake that already had too many layers. Like give me that as a whole film. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. But his the scene where he had to put on the oh, like God, blackface, yeah. that performance I thought was incredible. Watching him, you know, play the trumpet yeah. and then stop and the look on his face for what he had to do for that shot. Like that that performance uh stood out to me. I really yeah. appreciated it. I agree. I agree with that. That was really powerful. Okay. Brad Pitt is in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting with this casting because mm-hmm. like you said earlier about Tobey Maguire, <laughs> it, there's something very meta about this. Margot Robbie is a star mm-hmm. on the rise mm-hmm. and has been on the rise for a while. And she and, and so she fits this character in this way, in this very meta way, because it's kind of her. And there's yeah. something about Margot Robbie we don't really know very much know. about her. I still don't believe that she's the same age as me. I think she's mm-hmm. lying. Well, but we don't know. Like, I don't. Is she yeah. married? Does she have a kid? I don't know that she's Australian. I think, but like, she is, yeah. I don't and actually I think she see. Do I know that? Is she like? I don't actually know that. Apparently, so uh, it's interesting because despite all of that, she is like a star, and we mm-hmm. and she has that thing where you see her on screen. You're like, man, she's just captivating. So I I don't know. There was something meta. And same with Brad Pitt. Like this yeah. is the, a very, this is a role that he just could could basically dial in. And yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes I do feel like, like he dials it in a bit. Mm. Though Brad Pitt. And I think it's hard because this, I think this character can really be compared to Leo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which mm-hmm. Leo you get a lot of big moments you get a range of emotions from him so i think it is it is easy to make that comparison Mm -hmm. i think so and maybe want a little bit more um what about diego calva who plays manny it's like you sinclair i didn't really i was not familiar with him before uh and in some way he's it's like a two-hander between him and margot robbie they're like dual protagonists i liked his performance damien chazelle deliberately cast an actor that people didn't know very well because he he didn't want the audience to have preconceived emotions about this performer Mm -hmm. which I think was smart because I didn't at all and I thought he was great I actually really enjoyed watching him Mm -hmm. yeah me too um okay so what about technical well the score oh the score is the best of the year this is the best score of the year and I think that this should win the oscar for best score. There, yeah. There's no other score that's as ex- exciting as this one. As and exciting, yeah. as like memorable, yeah. it, it, that adds and contributes so much to the film. Like it mm-hmm. feels truly like a part of the film. Yeah. yeah. And it actually stays in your head. I can't, totally. there are no other scores this year that I can even remember. Um, but I liked this, the score from The Wonder. This, but... this one stays... <laughs> Yeah. stays with you for sure but but i think that justin Hurwitz, who did it has that's a skill like he, yeah. he makes memorable score he also yeah. scored la la land yeah that's like a very famous score and yeah. and even first man the score and that was gorgeous and whiplash obviously mm-hmm. so i do think that like this is kind of a magical thing here and it's yeah. no wonder to me why damon giselle keeps you know working mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. in this capacity i actually really loved the makeup in this movie mm-hmm. i loved the fact that nobody had sparkly white teeth mm. because nobody did have sparkly white teeth 
at this mm-hmm. point in time, right? Mm-hmm. And I hate when I watch a movie where a person's supposed to be a character, a certain character, but they're an A-list Hollywood actor and they have beautiful teeth. I'm yeah. like, this person would not have beautiful teeth. No one had beautiful teeth in this movie, and I really liked that. Like, they made Margot Robbie look gritty. Her teeth mm-hmm. were kind of yellow. Her hair was kind of gross. Her face yeah. was kind of gross. Like, she's gorgeous. But mm-hmm. they allowed everyone in this movie to not be as glamorous as they would be in 2023 because the technology's not there, yeah. right? Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah, Well, that's production true. design as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like this mm-hmm. is, like, Come on. a big... This in Wakanda forever, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Two very yeah. strong movies in terms of production design and costume. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the production designer in this film is Florencia Martin, and she was also production mm. designer on Licorice Pizza and Blonde. Oh. So she definitely has this yeah, yeah. sort of Hollywood. niche of classic Hollywood. Yeah. Um, nailed it, though. Like, it's yeah. just superb in this, for sure. Yeah. And the cinematography, too. Like, you have to think, think about those party sequences, those yeah. scenes. I thought the lighting was was just sublime here. You've got all these writhing bodies everywhere, and yet nothing kind of got lost or blurred. And like, if there's an elephant, or there's fire, and there's nudity, and Margot Robbie at the center, and you never lose sight of her. And uh, she was lit perfectly, and I, I just thought that was really cool. And there were some really inventive shots as well. Well, and the some of the sunset shots in this movie, like when they are actually talking about, we need to get the the daylight for that shot on yeah. the hill like it's it's incredible that shot you understand why he's losing it about yeah the light yeah all right what is the last word on babylon helen uh this movie reminded me a lot of moulin rouge actually especially in the beginning yes. with the elephant and the party and the sex it's kind of like moulin rouge on speed mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, with less romance but no I mean I enjoyed this because of the way that I chose to watch it I think I would have had a different experience if I'd seen this in the theater but I don't think it should be disregarded I Mm. think that there's a lot here that's that's worth seeing Mm -hmm. Um, Sinclair yeah there's a lot of good to this movie and I I think a big criticism is oh this movie could be better like it could right. take all of these parts and and be a better movie but it's not this is what the movie is and I did really appreciate this I definitely was more engaged and interested than a lot of other movies this year that have gotten a lot of praise I don't need to name names if anyone's listened to <laughs> we this know what podcast you know what movie I'm talking about <laughs> mo- or, or movies really conventional kind of boring um, this is not that so I welcomed it with open arms I love to watch a director experiment and, and boundary push so um, I'm, I'm behind this one even though it is a bit of a mess <laughs> right, fair. Yeah, so for me, I think that I love the Moulin Rouge comparison, but it's it's really like if Moulin Rouge suddenly became a meth addict. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this, is, this is the descent. Uh, and with this one, I'm all for debauchery. I'm all for decadence and even seeing this descent into hell. I, I appreciate a big swing by an artistic director for sure, and I won't begrudge Chazelle taking a shot like this, but I am firmly in the camp of this film needed a serious edit. Yeah. And I, I think it's too bad. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's not. It's certainly not terrible. No. This episode, we challenged ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. And that theme is Life of the Party. 
This is our week in entertainment. Helen, what movie did you pick? Uh, I decided to watch a movie from 2002. Uh-huh. I watched The Hours. Oh. 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 <laughs> okay. Life, that life screams of the party. party. I mean, okay, it is about parties. Thank you very much. It's more about the death of the party than the life of the party. But um, <laughs> okay, I saw this movie when it first came out, and it, I was too young to like fully understand it. I had heard about it on another podcast recently and I was like oh my god I need to rewatch that so I've been like waiting for an opportunity and this was I, it I <laughs> will say party like Virginia Wolf. <laughs> I will say that I googled movies about parties and this actually came up okay <laughs> it is about party okay let me talk about it Okay. So oh. this is directed by Stephen Daldry, based off of the novel of the same name by Michael Cunningham. Stars Julianne Moore, Nicole Kidman, and Meryl Streep. Uh, three interweaving stories centered around three women. Virginia Woolf, played by Nicole Kidman in the 1920s. Uh, Laura Brown, played by Julianne Moore in the 1950s. And Clarissa Vaughn, played by Meryl Streep in the early 2000s. Uh, they are all somehow connected to the novel Mrs. Dalloway, which Virginia is writing in the 1920s story. In Mrs. Dalloway, Clarissa Dalloway is preparing for a party she'll be throwing... Um, and we're like learning a lot about her internal life and there's interwoven stories uh, within Mrs. Dalloway and the working title of Mrs. Dalloway was actually The Hours when it was being written. In the 1950s story, Laura Brown is an extremely repressed and depressed housewife and she's baking a cake for her husband's birthday. And then in the 2000s story, Clarissa is planning on throwing a party for her friend Richard Brown, played by Ed Harris. He's an author and poet who's winning this sought-after poetry prize. Uh, So she's throwing a party for him winning this prize. He is also uh, dying of AIDS. Mm. He calls Meryl Streep's character Mrs. Dalloway because her name is Clarissa. And that's Mm -hmm. Mrs. Dalloway's name Mm -hmm. in the novel. So it is all about these three women. They're related in some way to this novel um, about a woman throwing a party. Okay, okay, okay. I take it back, Helen. It's It fits the theme. I, I do feel like this is your equivalent of a fun fact, though. When you say a fun fact and it's something really depressing, <laughs> right. we're doing a theme about party and, like, this is the, the route you take. I really, I honestly just wanted a reason to rewatch this movie and talk about it. That's fair. Totally. Yeah. This movie is so brilliant. And there's the performances in this movie are incredible. I mean, this is the movie that Nicole Kidman won her Oscar mm-hmm. for. Um, she's so wonderful as Virginia Woolf. And it is it's very interesting watching her with the prosthetic nose because um, it really you do kind of lose her in it. Yeah. You know, it's her, but you mm-hmm. don't. And I read a fun fact about <laughs> the fact that she was getting divorced at the time that she was making this there, movie. Yep, there it is. I know, I know. <laughs> but she actually would wear the prosthetic nose in her life because paparazzi wouldn't recognize her mm. with it on. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. This movie tackles so many themes, all kind of centered around how how women behave in the world and how they're expected to behave in the world. And how that doesn't fit for everyone. And, oh God, this movie just has so much to it that I 
still am kind of like digesting it mm. and like trying to understand how I feel about it. Tony Collette also has an incredible cameo in this movie. She plays Kitty, who is the friend of uh, Laura Brown, Julianne Moore's character, who comes in to say that she has probably has like ovarian cancer or something. Oh. And then they also share. I know Sinclair. Party. They they also. They share a kiss and there's it's like clear that Laura Brown is very attracted to this woman and Mm -hmm. wants to be with this woman. And it's this moment of like, oh, this is what you want in your life and you can't have it. Anyway, there's so much to this movie. It makes me want to read the book that this movie's based off of. And then the book that the book of this movie's based (laughs) off of. Um, And it was just I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed being able to watch this as an adult so that I could actually appreciate the themes and the characters and the performances more. Um, and it's just a wild rompous time. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting. Like I also have, I haven't seen this film since it came out either yeah. actually. And I, you're right. Like I, it was probably, even though, yes, I'm older than you, Helen, <laughs> I probably still would appreciate it much yeah. more now than I did then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... And I do. I I really like Stephen Dolgery as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's re- it's absolutely worth a, a rewatch. I I will actually. I'll probably watch this for a third and fourth time. Yeah, life of the party. The hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Edison. What did you choose? Um, well, I actually chose a, a life of the party. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, my film came out uh, in 2022. And it's just such a special movie. It's Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie film. Oh, cool. Directed by Brett Morgan. And it's not really about parties per se, Mm. but David Bowie is the life of the party, let's be real. that's fair. In all of his iterations. And it's interesting with this one. I'm reticent to call it a documentary because it does feel like more than that and different from that this is a like technicolor kaleidoscopic full-on psychedelic experience yes it's guiding us through the life of bowie like a documentary would but the way that this movie does it is so different from a typical doc in that it doesn't feel like we're observing a subject so much as it feels like the subject himself has literally led us inside his head Mm. and we're fully immersed in there as he's kind of guiding us through his life and philosophy as an artist and i have either of you seen this no i want to see this though oh you are going to love this (laughs) it's interesting because i like bowie i kind of don't know how you can't but i'm i'm not like a huge fan of bowie Mm -hmm. right and so I found this really interesting. I'm fa- I'm familiar enough with parts of his sort of career and with, you know, Ziggy Stardust and things like that, that I know, you know, it wasn't like there were any revelations or whatever. But that's not what this is about. It's just telling us who Bowie is mm-hmm. in his own words. Mm-hmm. And it made me want to just so dive into his catalog of music and performances and everything else. He was brilliant. And... They do this, it's like this film is a kind of a combination of live footage from concerts and and audio clips that are like narration of him being pulled from interviews. He's narrating this. This whole film is in is in his voice. There's footage from his personal life. They had access to the estate of Bowie. Mm-hmm. And it involves his art, like painting and, and so much of the music. And honestly, there's nobody else in this doc. 
It's mm. not like a talking heads kind of offering okay. their insights mm. about David Bowie at all. I don't know that another person has a single line in this documentary. It's huh. all Bowie in his own words, in his own mind, through his own visuals. And it's re- it really captures the sort of essence and magic and like brilliant creativity of David Bowie. Who made this? Like, I imagine uh, it must be like a, f- a feat of editing to d- compile all that footage and make it cohesive and well it was written and directed by um, brett morgan mm-hmm. who has done other films in the past he did um a mont kurt cobain yeah, a montage, montage of heck oh, okay yeah. that's yeah. why i wanted to see this mm. yeah oh he also edited it okay yeah it's a full-on passion project from him and uh, the editing is so impressive yeah, yeah. Mm. i was wondering why that this wasn't in the oscar doc conversation hmm i i I have no idea. It's I can't imagine why it isn't. Uh-huh. It should be. It's again like it is a documentary, I guess, but it doesn't feel like it. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's so original and inventive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I loved it. So I think that you both will enjoy it. Moon Age Day- Daydream, definitely, definitely one that I recommend. Cool. What did you pick, Sinclair? Okay, I watched a movie called Party Girl. There um... you go. Stop it! Appropriately Uh. titled Party Girl. (laughs) Yes. It's from 1995. It's directed by Daisy Vaughn Schurler Mayer. And it stars Parker Posey. 90s Parker Posey. A Mm -hmm. great time. Uh, It's about a 20 something year old girl named Mary who is a party girl in New York City. She is a wild child. She throws illegal parties. Uh, she throws one particular illegal party and she gets arrested. And her godmother has to come bail her out of jail. What makes the parties illegal? They're just like underground, unlicensed. Oh, okay. Like, okay, okay, like okay. remember yeah, yeah. the 90s had like just illegal raves and it was just kind of yeah, like a yeah. wild underground time uh yeah babylon ish i guess in new <laughs> york city um but she finds herself just kind of broke and down on her luck after this arrest and she goes over <laughs> to the library where her godmother works because her godmother is a librarian and she basically begs her for a job and mm-hmm. the godmother's like you're just wild your mother had no common sense you're <laughs> wild like why should i give you this job here and f- finally mary convinces her her godmother to let her be a library clerk and we see her trying to change her party girl ways and become this like straight laced library clerk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just quickly looked up like the movie poster and it, it does have the most nineties like tagline where it says, There's a new librarian in town. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Wow. Um, this is really interesting because it's like if A24 existed in the 90s and did their oh. version of Clueless. Um, oh, cool. But really, Mary is less like high and expensive fashion and more thrift store vintage fashion. Mm, nice. I just 95. want you to look it up. Can you just Google Parker Posey in Party Girl because I want you to see some of the outfits because they're really amazing like this is a fashion movie it's kind of 
similar to Desperately Seeking Susan. Where I was it just is thinking very that. Very fashion forward, and it's oh, yeah. really yes. about cool. the, the look and the costuming. Ooh, that that leopard print jacket. Yeah, the, red the red gloves. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. very like New York vintage uh, thrift store fashion. Very yeah. bad. Uh, wow. Very very cool. Um, Blue gloves. Okay, she's having a lot of glove moments in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cool. like I think there's like couture, like Vivian Westwood stuff. Like mm. it just totally very, very very cool, very memorable fashion. So Mary's working as a library clerk, but she can't shake this party girl past. She's just, she needs the scene. She's drawn to the scene. She's really struggling with the idea of growing up and becoming responsible and working this kind of straight-laced job. However, she does realize that she's actually really good at the Dewey Decimal System. And she starts really thriving as a library clerk. Um, But then she does have sex in the library Mm. and uh, leaves the windows open. And a lot of the books get destroyed and the godmother very angry at her. So then there's this whole tale of trying to get forgiveness as well. Um, A lot of philosophy references in this, too, that I really appreciated. Like, at one point, Mary says, like, I think I'm an existentialist. And I just really, really loved that. Um, (laughs) You're like, me too. (laughs) I get you. Um, But yeah, uh, this, the the party scenes are really interesting because there are some, um, like, real New York party goers. Like, there's also, like, the drag Mm. scene is in this as well in the 90s. And that really was such a thing in in New York. These parties Mm -hmm. were quite epic. Um, there's a weird amount of cultural appropriation in this. Okay. Um, which is, is it weird though for really, 1995? Yeah, maybe not. E- exactly. Where you watch it and you're like, okay, this was definitely yeah. made in the 90s. There's some things where you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. Um, but this also was the first feature film to to be shown and premiered on the internet. Oh, what? interesting. Yes. And I still don't even fully know how that worked how but it did With that say dial up yeah you had to have dial up at the 10 time years to watch this movie yeah and it only well, it i was remember like, oh, in 1997 when i when they did the victoria's secret fashion show live on the internet as well yes. and i that was huge and they say it broke the internet but again had dial up and it was the most pixelated terrible thing ever yes <laughs> but I was re- wow. reading one article where it was like it premiered on the internet and it reached hundreds of people like all right. the world. <laughs> <laughs> so Whoa, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how how that works now. Uh, but yeah, th- this movie is it's definitely not as good as Clueless or a successful. Um, mm. But you don't even necessarily really need to compare the two. But there are similarities. But it's kind of fluffy '90s fashion fun mm. and enjoyable. And Park- Parker Posey really is the, one of the coolest actresses. Yeah, like, true. she's so she unique. Truly, yeah. and she just looks good in everything. She's like like a Chloe Sevigny, where they just look good mm. in vintage, and they just are yeah, yeah. that New York girl. Yeah, um, but very very interesting movie uh, and and nineties like hidden gem staple. Okay, cool. cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could check that out. Yeah, 
All right. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Bye.